You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 94. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. We are almost at the end of 2020. Here comes 2021. Please don't be so crazy. (laughs) It has been a wild ride. Uh, It really doesn't feel like it's December at all. Like There's so many parts of me that's like, man, I can't wait for December. I'm going to learn. I'm going to build my programs and I'm going to finish writing up some essays. And I got got some really cool stories that I've been putting together. Oh, yeah, I've got these blog posts for these other websites I've been assigned to. It's going to be so great. I'm going to learn, learn, learn and create, create, create. Can't wait for December. And then I'm like, oh, snap. (laughs) It's December because yesterday was the 6th and it would have been my mother's 60 five-year-old birthday. She has been gone from us come this Valentine's Day. It'll be 14 years. So she died on February 14th, and we are coming on her 14th year anniversary. Uh, When I keep playing with the four game, I will turn four years old in my sobriety and recovery on January 13th. So there's a whole lot going on as far as numerology goes, and there's a whole lot going on just as far as my thoughts about my mother and how important she was to me and the legacy that lives on from her through me. And just, I mean, one of our last conversations we ever had was all about how I thought I was an alcoholic and how I needed to seek help. And I don't think that she wanted me to think that about myself. And so we spent an inordinate amount of time debating on whether I was an alcoholic or not. (laughs) And she wanted to debate that, no, you're not. You're just bored. You need to come up with some things to do with your life and stop sitting around playing video games all day and you'd be more productive. And I wanted to debate that I was absolutely, positively a raging alcoholic and a drug addict and a womanizer and just a not overall great person. And unfortunately, that conversation was the last time we ever spoke to one another And there was always a part of me that thought that I would really, truly fulfill my own potential when I finally got sober, when I finally stopped trying to manage an addiction that's unmanageable, and that I just finally saw her and I's final conversation to fruition. Regardless of how many times I've had my friends or or different family members and different health strangers at bars try to debate with me on whether I was an alcoholic or not, that's, to me, that was exactly what I'd always been acting like. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, uh, was some, I remember hearing in some movie one time, it's like, uh, you may not be a prostitute, but you're wearing a prostitute's uniform. I remember hearing that in a movie one time, and that struck me because it's like, I remember thinking that about myself. You may not be an alcoholic, you may not think you're an alcoholic, but you're wearing an alcoholic's uniform. And so to me, I, regardless of what anyone tried to ever debate with me, I was like, no, I'm definitely like, this wasn't a limiting decision. There wasn't a limiting belief. It's like, look, I know how my relationship with alcohol is and I know how it's destroying me. 
And over the weekend, I was at an event and somebody at the table started asking me about alcoholism because as I described my behavior to him, his first thing he came back was, he's like, I thought alcoholics had to drink every day just to live. And he's like, that doesn't sound like your relationship to alcohol. And he was right that my relationship with alcohol was uh, oftentimes non-existent or passive. When I crossed that line, it became very aggressive. It became it became very, um, what do I say, like violent. Like I'm, I myself was not a violent person, happiest drunk ever. Everybody fucking loved having drunk Jesse around. It's one of the reasons why I was so easy to be an alcoholic for as many years as I was. <clears throat> Excuse me. What I mean by aggressive and violent is it was the way that I drank alcohol. It was the way that it was like I just kept pouring it into my mouth just more and more and more aggressively just to try to see how hard and how f- far I could push it. It was like, oh, okay, three bottles of bourbon didn't kill me. Well, let's do three bottles of bourbon and two boxes of wine. And let's figure out a way to to cut a hole in the bag of wine in the box so that I can so I can just flip that little switch and I can just sit there and I can see how fast I can chug a bottle of a box of wine. Like it was just very aggressive, violent toward myself. And when I was telling this gentleman this stuff, I also said like, look, there'd be stretches where I'd go a month, two, six without taking a drop because I needed to graduate college or I needed to get out of. So I had gotten arrested and I needed to have six months of, of good behavior or I was going to have to go to jail or some sort of other worse thing. Like I had like 10 different times that my sentence was deferred adjudicated, which simply means just don't get in trouble for six months, dipshit, and you won't get thrown in jail. So for six months, I was on the straight and narrow. And then the day that that deferred adjudication gavel came down, it was like, sweet, let's jump in a swimming pool full of Jägermeister. And so as I'm describing this to this gentleman, that's what threw him off. He's like, well, I just thought everybody who was an alcoholic had a drink every day all the time in order to live. My response back was, it sounds like you're talking about the movie Leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage and Elizabeth Shue. And yes, that's how most people perceive alcoholism. But in reality, to me, alcoholism is just when you've taken something that some people see as semi to barely recreational. They just do it to have fun. And you turn it into a way of life where the, where the medicine becomes the poison. It literally becomes detrimental. It's be, it, you're not just dealing with one or two hangovers a year. You are literally destroying your life. And as I began to describe this to him, it, we'll call, his name was Freeze. At least his last name was. So we'll call him Freeze. As I was describing this to Freeze, I could see this revelation in his eyes. That so often people have an image of what alcoholism is and they didn't really understand the full reality of it. And this is the conversation that my mother and I were having because she knew I could stop every once in a while and then I could pick it back up that she just assumed, well, this is, this is just a willpower issue. But to me, it was almost like if I'm going to get thrown in jail, then I'm going to stop drinking for the six months to make sure I don't. That doesn't mean that I'm not still an alcoholic. Just because my rock bottom didn't include me getting fired from my job or sleeping in my car, evicted from my place, spending all my money on drugs, doesn't mean that I wasn't an alcoholic or drug addict. 
this this distorted view of what an, an addict is is causing people to misidentify with what they think alcoholism and drug, drug addiction should look like. Oh, well, that person has their home and their car and they still have a family, so clearly they're not an addict. Meanwhile, they're destroying themselves and their family and everything that you see around them is in shambles, but from the outside looking in, everything looks peachy keen. And it's because of this distorted view of addiction that so often people will continue pushing forward in, the, in their this-is-just-how-I've-always-done-it kind of mentality rather than looking to change because they've got this distorted view of, oh, an addict should be you know, sleeping on a mattress, on the street, Hollywood Boulevard, covered in their own filth with a scraggly old dog you know, by their side because that's the only thing that, that's the only creature on the planet who wants to deal with them. And this distorted view of addiction is causing people not to seek out the help that they truly need. Because when you try to have a conversation with it around people, they're like, oh, well, you know, all the reasons I just mentioned. You're not homeless on the street. You have a family. You have a job. Clearly, you're fine. You just have, you're just a little wuss. Get some willpower. Because if we didn't all try willpower, right? Everybody tries willpower. We try not to look at our phones first thing in the morning. So maybe we tell ourselves 30 minutes. And then that 31st minute, we finally pick up the phone. And it's only a matter of time before that phone ends up getting picked up first thing in the morning. We try to use willpower when we're looking to lose weight and try to stay off the desserts. Yet, after a day to a week of that, eventually something slips. And next thing you know, you know it's, it's M&Ms at 2 in the morning. Try to use willpower to cut back on the drinking and the drugs. But it's inevitable that we're going to go back to what gave us the most comfort, even if it's bringing us pain. Even if we have a gambling addiction and we're constantly struggling to pay our rent, as soon as we get five extra bucks, we're back at the casino. Second, sex addiction, looking for you know connection and love, and no matter how many times we think sex is the way to get there, and we know that it's not, we keep trying. I'm suffering. I've got trauma. I'm going to keep trying to use this medicine I call alcohol and drugs. And eventually it just finally occurs to us that it's just not going to work. All of this is getting discussed right now because we're looking at the idea of back to basics these last few months. If you are someone who has relapsed recently, especially during the pandemic, if you have friends that you know are struggling, if you are the parent or the loved one of someone that you know is struggling, just because what they're going through doesn't look like the apocalypse of a lifetime doesn't mean that what you're witnessing isn't they're coming apart. And just because what you're witnessing is their coming apart does not mean that it's not the steps towards their rebirth. The forest must burn down at some point in order to rise up from the ashes stronger and healthier. It is nature's way to destroy in order to rebirth. The phoenix that rise from the, from the ashes only rose from the ashes because there was a fire to leave ashes. They always say scars. I mean, chicks dig scars was something I was told when I was a kid. Right? There's a story behind every scar. 
to me, the strongest people on the planet are the ones with the most scars, and many of them are not noticeable by the naked eye. They're only noticeable whenever you really tap into a deeper connection with that human and get to understand what it is that they've gone through that led them to become the person they are standing in front of you right now. Trials and tribulations are literally the essence of the difficulty, of, of, of the drive, of the challenges life bring you in order for you to become the best version of yourself. It makes me think of the bubble boy, right? I, I don't know if there ever was a real bubble boy, but I definitely remember the Seinfeld talking about it. I remember there being things about it. It's like, okay, bubble boy had a horrible immune system, so they put him in a bubble. Well, then his immune system was certainly never going to get better and stronger because he was in a bubble. He was just constantly being shielded from the germs and the world around. So therefore, there was never going to be an opportunity for that bubble boy to have a stronger immune system. So yeah, all of a sudden, 40-year-old bubble boy gets let out of his bubble and he's probably going to drop dead in like 17 seconds because you have to have an immune system built up. And the only way you can have a strong immune system is if you're constantly being barraged by bacteria and, and, and viruses and, 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 and amoebas. Or, I don't know anything about science. I don't know. Tiny little microscopic organisms. <laughs> right? That's bacteria. It's things you can't see with your own eyes. But it can hurt you, right? But your body figures out a way to become stronger every single time it comes around a new bacterium. This is why in your region where you live, you're fine. Maybe hay fever doesn't bother you. Your allergies don't bother you. But then you go three states over, you go visit your relatives, something like that. All of a sudden, you've got allergies. The hay fever bothers you. You, get, you, you, you don't feel so good for the first couple of days because they have different bacteria there. Sidebar, if you ever travel somewhere and you have really bad allergies and hay fever, find a place that sells local honey and take a spoonful or two of the local honey honey it has to be local because those bees have created that honey with the the pollen from the local flowers and then you get to introduce it to your into your system like medicine and then your hay fever and your allergies will begin to dissipate it doesn't happen overnight but over the course of the next few days you'll notice that all of a sudden you won't have as bad of allergies anymore anyways sidebar i should just call this show jesse's random things about honey <laughs> That's I don't have as many as you would hope. That would have been like a 15-episode podcast. So back to this idea about the bubble boy and being outside of the bubble. You want to have a life that puts you through a series of challenges. It's what makes you stronger. If you live inside of a bubble, then nothing ever gets to you. Nothing ever has a chance to penetrate you. You don't have a chance to get hurt. And without those challenges, you don't grow resilient. You don't begin to, to backbone yourself up stronger and better. You need these challenges to so that you can... It's not to prove your mettle, right? It, there's no prove. What was, what's the right way? You need these challenges just to build the mettle to begin with. right? How do you know that you're resilient? How do you build resolve if you don't have these challenges. 
Now, lately, I've been getting a lot of messages from loved ones. One in particular I read today, a mother whose, whose daughter recently relapsed. Um, you know, I think that she was that four or five months, if I can remember off the top of my head. Um, I've had another one I got recently, six and seven months for this this family's son. Uh, somebody else I know recently reached out to me. They had gotten almost to two years. And my messaging to all of you who've messaged me and, and, and told me this, or even to those of you who haven't, or those of you who've watched friends and loved ones relapse, if you've relapsed, whatever it might be, is that if that is part of your process, then embrace that part of your process. I don't want anyone to relapse, but I want to be the first one to say, it's okay that you relapsed. Now you know what it's like to relapse. You can go back, you can evaluate what happened to you that led you to that relapse. Relapse doesn't happen in the moment, in the instant that you use again. It has been building up. So don't just look at what happened the second you took that drink or you took that drug, but start looking at the different ways that you stopped grounding your sobriety and recovery in humility, in gratitude. Where did you start to lose your integrity? This is the triumvirate I talk about all the time because Melissa, my therapist, taught it to me. Integrity, gratitude, humility. It's the triumvirate of a prosperous addiction recovery program. Do you have integrity? Do you stand up for what you believe is right? right? This means no lying and cheating and stealing and and, and the like. Do you speak the truth? Do you speak your truth? Humility, being humble around your addiction recovery, around just life in general. And then, of course, there's gratitude. Another word for grateful. Are you grateful for the world that is happening around you? You could add thankful as well, because thankful is being thankful to a person. Grateful is being grateful towards, like, I think I talked about this on the, recently on another episode. You're thankful for your loved one bringing you a can of soda water. You're grateful that soda water exists. Right? There's a difference. You're thankful towards a person. You're grateful for an inanimate object. Um, this is, that's Seriously, Google that and get yourself stuck down a freaking rabbit hole, but I'm pretty sure that's what I've read. <laughs> grateful is basically toward an inanimate object. Right? You're thankful that your mom picked you up from school. You're grateful that she had time to pick you up from school right? because she didn't have to be at work or something. So it's, it's so convoluted. I may have done a whole episode on it, actually. Got to go back in the archives and check that out. So again, why is this the entire topic of our conversation today? As we round out the end of 2020, there are some of us who believed that when the pandemic started, it meant that we had to drive ourselves harder and push ourselves to create magic in our lives, no matter what that was. Maybe it was a new career, maybe it was a new exercise program, maybe it was repainting our house, whatever it was. On the other side of that, there's those people who thought, okay, this is a time for the world to slow down, and this is a time for me to just take a breath and just take the world in. And both are accurate. This could have been your year to create magic, or this could have been your year to pause and take a breath. There is no right or wrong. 
There is only the now, the present, what you have decided to do with your time. If you have been taking most of the year to stop and and, and breathe, and now you're ready to amp it up and move forward and faster and create magic in your life in 2021, great. If you think that now you've created magic all 2020 and it's time to slow it down a little bit, that's great too. As I'm wrapping up so many of my projects that I'm doing right now, I realize that 2020 has been very, very good to me. Yes, as far as society goes, social issues, everything else, and and the the election, and the COVID, and the pandemic, and the shutdowns, and who knows what the world's going to look like a year from now, as far as what I can control and my choices, 2020 has been freaking awesome to me. Because I decided that I was going to take control of my pandemic projects the way I wanted to take care of them. Just like we all had the choice to do whatever it is we want to do with our time, with our life, with our energy, whatever it is, it's our choice to make for ourselves. We might often think, oh, well, I've got three kids and I've got to run them to this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this. And so you think that you're being dragged around by your children, but you don't have to do that because there are other people with three kids who are not. And they say, no. Now, I'm not saying you should raise your kids that way. In fact, I think that running your kids around, doing all the cool stuff with them is a super dope thing to do. But don't sit there and say, I have to do it. Take on the language pattern that you get to do it. That you're, that, you're, that you're grateful that you have time to do this, that your kids want to do this stuff. But be mindful of the language you're using whenever you start to think about the things that you have to do. Because you don't have to do it. You are choosing to do it. You can literally, your kid can walk in and say, it's time for soccer practice, and you could be like, awesome, get on your bike and ride all the way there. But mom, it's like 17 miles. Then you should have left four hours ago. Like... You could do that. You're not going to. But let's be mindful of the language that we're using. I couldn't do that because of the pandemic. Well, there are many things that I couldn't, quote unquote, do because of the pandemic. So I had to figure out other things that I could do during the pandemic. I couldn't go to colleges and sign my book and give awesome presentation on my seven powerful principles. So I doubled down on the podcast, I did tons of great content there, and I reached out and I formed relationships with these universities so that when they do reopen, they know who I am. I couldn't go to addiction recovery centers and speak in person and pump people up. So I doubled down on the podcast. I released some really cool programs here and there. I did that sober sessions thing for a couple months, that coaching program with Sue Mandel for a little bit. Right? There were some things that worked with that, some things that didn't. I took what I could from that. I learned and I reformulated for the next amazing project that I get to release. But I also learned that there is a time and a place to prioritize myself, my energy, and what it is that I know I can and cannot do. And this is not at all what this episode was supposed to be about. (laughs) I'm sitting here with a screen of notes that I have not looked at at all. Um, because I got into my mom's story and then it just led to this. There's been times like lately where I've just disappeared off of Instagram. I've disappeared off social media. I am out of bandwidth when it comes to just certain, well, let me rephrase this. I'm not, 
yeah, I'm out of bandwidth when it comes to certain things. I've just, there's only so much time I have in my life to be able to do all the things that I want to do. At some point, I have to look down at a piece of paper and say, what can I honestly prioritize and give 110% of Jesse? Yes, I could go on Instagram once a day and just post a, a stupid meme, but I am tired of doing that. I don't just want it to be memes. I want to figure out a way to put out really cool content, really cool little five to 10 minute episodes here or there, right? But because my brain runs off this blueprint knowledge structure, I have to have a system in place. I want to know, okay, well, this is what this show is going to be about, okay? So that there's a story arc to it, so that there's a purpose. Not everybody needs that. These are certain things I desire in my creations. Plus, this gets to a point where I'm like, you know what? I just, I just want to step out. I just want to step out. And this is what I want to bring to your attention, that it's okay to just want to step out, to just say, no, I'm not taking on any more. It reminds me of Mila Kunis's character in Bad Moms, where like Christina Applegate's character is like, since you were late, you get to do this. And she's like, no. Like, I've had a horrible day. Things I do not have time for this. Somebody else can do it. I am way too busy. And, of course, that pisses Christina Applegate off, and it turns into this hilarious you know, movie afterwards. But the point of that is finally Kunis's character is like, no, I've, I don't have it. I don't have any more bandwidth. So know where in your addiction recovery you have bandwidth and know where you don't. And be okay that you have to say no once in a while to things that people would really like to see you participate in. And know when you're starting to run through your bandwidth, and that could be the beginning of your relapse. It's not just that moment you took that drink. It was happening weeks and months beforehand. So don't just look at the moment that you finally relapsed, but look at every single moment that led to the final moment before you reset your clock to zero. My mother was right when she said that my problem was I didn't have things that excited me. I didn't have things that I, uh, that I wanted to work on. I, my hands were idle, and therefore they became the devil's tool. She was right about that. She was not right about the fact that I wasn't an alcoholic, but she was right about my idle hands. See, I, I work with an energy healer. Danny C. Muniz is my astrologist, and she's also one of my collaboration partners and a, and a business partner and just the most amazing woman who was on the podcast recently and, and talked about you know, astrology and how that affects our emotions, how this, this moon pulls at this water on our planet and causes ebbs and flows, and our bodies are basically the, like 70% water. Pretty sure the Earth is like 70% water. Maybe it's even more. Whatever it is, it's almost like we have the same amount of water in our bodies as is on this planet. Don't you think that the moon would have a pull on that? And by her teaching me why some days I feel exhausted and other days I feel super energetic, it's given me the opportunity to understand myself at a different level. NLP has taught me to always look back at myself in the mirror and ask, what was my part? What was my role in whatever just occurred in, my, to, in front of me? If there was an argument between me and someone, what was my role in that? How can I better choose next time? How can I better plan ahead so that I don't find myself in a situation that triggers me in an emotional way that causes me to behave like an idiot? NLP has taught me to look inwards. Astrology has taught me to, to, to understand the external 
uh, motivators, the external ebbs and flows that are being caused by the world around me. The energy healer I have teaches me how to speak more to my angels and how to, and how to understand the energy that's that's being contracted and was it contracted or or released? I think contract is when you pull it inwards and protract is when you push it outwards. I forget the term. Now I'm just trying to riff here, and you know all the other things that I take in as we wind down this year. What I'm trying to get across, and I feel like I've accurately done it this time because I really feel like I haven't rambled too much, is that this is the time to wrap up your year and to start to look at the things that you've chosen to do with your time, the things that you've chosen to learn, the things that you've chosen not to pay attention to, the things that you've chosen to prioritize, and the things that you've chosen to just downright ignore. And just grasp around who you think you are, who you want to be. What control do you have in the events that are going on around you? And then attach whatever emotion you decide to, to the things that you can control. And be mindful not to attach too much emotional, uh, just emotional roots into the things that you really can't control. When you see people arguing about politics and social issues or the pandemic or any of the other hot button issues, there gets to a point in the conversation where what's being argued are things that aren't in those two people's control. But yet people escalate their anger and they're yelling at each other about, you did vote that and you did vote that. And it's like, man, I just, I voted for this one particular thing. I did not realize, even if I did realize they were doing all this other stuff, this one thing mattered more to me than this other stuff. And that's okay. But there's a lot of this stuff that's out of our control. So when you start to ram your head against somebody else's over things that you neither one of you have control over, you're burning bridges. Let's stop burning bridges. Let's look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what? I don't care if my mother thinks I'm not an alcoholic. I don't care how other people perceive alcoholism. I don't care what other people think an addict should look like. I'm looking at myself in the mirror right now, and am I happy? Who is looking back? There are parts of me I will, I will, I I will endlessly be working on making better. And there are parts of me that I can look at and say, you are doing a damn good job. You keep that up. Very few, if any parts of me, ever escape the self-analyzation that Jesse likes to put his own life through because to me, analyzing and evaluating and coming up with a a different way, if it needs to have a different way, is of the essence of life. I said plus or minus two minutes at the beginning of this and here we are at 31 minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up because this could go on for another 30 minutes and and I feel like I've made my point. 14 years ago, this Valentine's Day, my mother would have passed away. Yesterday, she would have turned 65 years old. I love her to death. I will always love her to death. She was the most amazing woman to me, even when she angered me, even when things didn't go right. Unfortunately, I'm going to go over 32 minutes because I just want to say this little thing about mom. 
She didn't always make the best decisions. When she and my father decided to divorce in 1994, it exploded the family. And it imploded my heart. And I did not know how to deal with it. And I turned to alcohol and drugs as my escape. I don't doubt for a moment that my my trajectory was already t- going toward alcohol and drugs. But this exacerbated it. It made it worse. And I was too emotionally immature and unaware to really have any possible idea of what I was doing to myself. Every single day is the best day of my life because I wake up sober now. It is my dream to spread that message to as many, many people as possible. That the best version of our life is literally on the other side of that decision. Everything that anyone else has is possible for you if you choose to prioritize that every single day. As we finish up 2020 and we go into 2021, this is the month to really take in what it is that you've experienced this year. Write down what it is you've experienced. Write down what it is that you've accomplished. Write down what it is you want to remember from this year. Record it, videotape it, whatever it is you want to do. But get it out of your head and make it tangible. Put it out there for no one else to read but yourself. And then let's start thinking about what your goals are for 2021. The outcomes that you want to find. The person you want to become. Get that out on paper. Get that out in front of yourself. And again, if for no one else to, to ever see but you. No one will ever care as much about you becoming the best version of yourself than you will. It is just not possible. Even if somebody is the one who drags you out of bed and pushes you to a meeting or pushes you into a rehab, you can think they care more. You're still going. No matter how much you're fighting it, you still want to go. Because if you didn't, you'd just duck out the back door. I truly, honestly believe no one will ever care as much about you becoming the best version of yourself than you will. You may not realize that's the current running underneath your surface, and you might allow other people to be the ones who manifest that out of you, but I promise you, there is always that person inside of you screaming, let me out. I know there's a better way. I know I can figure this out, and I don't give a fuck if it takes me 35,000 times. I will figure this out. You can find a way. You can always find a way. You just have to choose to prioritize it above everything else. I'm not saying you have to choose to prioritize it forever over everything else. There has to be those times where you say no. This is the most important thing, and this will get my full attention. I truly, truly believe that for so many of us, when we did that with sobriety, we were able to move into addiction recovery and become this amazing version of ourselves. And I'm so thankful that that last conversation that my mother and I had was around alcoholism. Even though I honestly, I mean, honestly, I wish there was, that would not have been the last conversation just for clarification's sake. (laughs) But because that last conversation was around alcoholism, 
I always just remembered the energy I felt when I hung up that phone with her that day. And I was like, because she was an alcoholic too. And I remember I just, all the energy I, I hung up. And I just remember thinking to myself, I don't think she wants to see it in me because she doesn't want to see it in herself. But one day I'll step into that world. And when I get sober, she'll realize that she can too. That's how I felt when my sister stepped into sobriety four or five months before me. If she could do it, okay, 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 I think I can do this too now. Unfortunately for me, by the time my sister and I chose to get sober, mom had long, long since gone. If you see somebody in your life who's looking for that role model, that, 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 that quote-unquote hero to take that first step, even if you don't have an addiction problem and you're just close to somebody who does, somewhere in your life, you can take a step forward into an area where you need to tap into the most courageous version of yourself that's ever existed. When you do that, they'll see that. And that'll inspire them to do it for themselves. Inclusivity over exclusivity, as always, it's the power of positive energy. Release it and your life will flow. Next week, maybe I'll do what this episode was actually supposed to be about. But that just came. That just came today. I love you, Mom. Wish you could have been here for all of this. Bless you all. Be amazing. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.